Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You are worthy of love and affection as you are right now. You don't need to get certain marks at uni. You don't need to get a certain job to be loved and to be worthy of affection. You're worthy as you are right now. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection, and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to It Ain't Week to Speak. Well, how good is it to be back here with you guys? And I hope you've had an amazing start to the year, and I hope 2021 is going to be your year. I hope great things happen for you. But above everything else, I hope that this year is a year of growth. It's a year of learning. It's a year of falling in love with yourself. I hope it's a year that you're learning a lot about yourself and other people. And it's my promise, as I always say to you guys, is to bring you some great guests from all around the world who share something very important for us to all learn and take away from. Well, our next guest onto the podcast is an instrumental human being, put it that way. His name is Mr. Hugh Van Kylenberg. Now, he is the founder of The Resilience Project. This really is an episode you don't want to miss. I want to speak to Hugh about what started the Resilience Project, his experience over in north of India in a small community where there was literally no running water, no electricity, no beds. But despite the fact that none of these people had anything of their own, Hugh was quite blown away about how happy they really were. And it was through this experience and his studies that led him to some pretty simple conclusions about the things that we need to be doing here in the world if we want to be happier. And he learned through this village that practicing gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness leads us to a happier, more fulfilling experience. And I want to really dig really deep into this journey because we all hear these buzzwords around gratitude, resilience, empathy, but what do they actually mean and how can we actually practice them and how can we actually learn from them or learn about them? in a way that makes sense. So I really want to talk to Hugh about this. He's delivered talks and his programs to professional football clubs, NRL, AFL, soccer, cricket, you name it. He's been there. He's been in schools. He's been in workplaces. He's a very, very nice guy. And I believe that we're all going to get a lot from this podcast today. But without giving too much more away, let's just get this bloke on the podcast and let's just have a great time with him. And again, guys, thanks so much for your support. Please leave any reviews or any comments from the show or your feedback either online or via the Facebook group that we have. Without further ado, let's get Hugh Van Kylenberg onto the podcast. Welcome onto the It Ain't Week to Speak podcast. It's an absolute real pleasure having you on here today. It's a pleasure for me to be on. I've been a fan of living for a long time, but I remember being asked to go and speak at a National Rugby League rookie camp and I was about to talk and I got introduced to Casey, your 
co-founder and he got up and I actually got, I heard him tell the living story, you know, for the first time I got to see it live and ever since, like I was a big fan and I was just a massive fan and loved hearing Casey talk and shattered to hear about like the reason living started, but just a huge fan. So I'm, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> well, mate, we're all very excited to have you here and thank you very much for your support over the years and obviously watching from afar. We've never actually spoken probably on this level, you and I. I know that we've passed each other in the street, I think in Melbourne that one time, but we've never actually spoken, man. So I'm grateful that you're on the show because I've got a lot of questions about what you've been up to. And I really can't wait to share with our audience, you know, some of the great work that you've been able to do and some of the lives you've been able to turn around and provide, you know, really good, robust training around resilience and whatever else. But we'll talk about that in a moment. But mate, just so I'm better equipped and I guess I understand the story as to how far and why this started for you. Like where did starting the resilience project come from? Like where did that, where did that idea come from? I guess for me, the resilience project was my little sister when she was, I had an incredible childhood growing up in Australia, so happy and, and love sport and everything and happy childhood with my family. But when my sister turned 14, she was diagnosed with a mental illness, anorexia nervosa. She stopped eating, hated the way that she looked, had really bad body image stuff. And it just ravaged her. Like anyone out there listening who knows someone with a mental illness, you know, it's not just that person that ravages, it's the people who, you know, I mean, what I'm trying to say is it completely ravaged our family. When she was 18 years old, she was in hospital because she dropped below crisis weight. In fact, I'll never forget this. I remember sitting on the hospital bed with her and it was her first day in hospital. The doctor walked in and he looked at his watch and he said, oh, he said, sorry, mate, you got to go. And I said, oh, I've only been here for two hours. And he said, oh, no, you only get two hours. And he said, I've told your sister, if she puts on a bit more weight before tomorrow, you can stay for more than two hours tomorrow. And if she puts on more weight the day after that, well, you can stay for more, you know, more time the day after that. And I said, okay, fair enough. And I was leaving and I turned around and said to him, oh, so how much weight does my sister need to put back on before tomorrow so I can stay for more than two hours? And he told me her total weight. He said, oh, when your little sister gets back up to, when she gets back up to 31 kilograms, I'll consider you stay for more than two hours. I mean, my sister's not a short person, five foot eight to five foot nine, she's 31 kilograms. And I just remember having a moment around then when I was having dinner with mum and dad and sisters in hospital and my little brother's there as well. He would have been 15 at the time. And I just remember thinking to myself, we're not happy anymore. Like this family, we're just not happy. And I just became really fascinated at that point of like, what is it that makes people happy? What do we do to help people to be happy? And I had no idea. I was 19, 20. I had no idea what the answer was, but I, I went into teaching and thought, oh, if I'm a teacher, I can sort of work with kids on their wellbeing, but I didn't know how. And fast forward till I was 28 years old, my ex-partner and I went to India. We were backpacking around India, traveling India, and we found ourselves missing teaching. She was a teacher as well. And we decided to go and build a real volunteer teaching and, and we had no money. Like we were, we were on a shoestring budget and we found this community that, that needed someone to teach English, but they said, you'll get accommodation and you'll get three meals a day. And we're thinking, oh, you beauty, that's perfect for us. We did no more research into what the place is like. I'll never, ever forget the feeling of shock I felt when I arrived in this village up in the Himalayas in the far north of India to discover in this village, right, there's no running water, there's no electricity, and everyone sleeps on the floor. And I was like, oh my God, there's no way. There's no way I'm staying here for two weeks, like not a chance. And so I had a very awkward conversation with the principal where I just said, I'm sorry, mate, I might be a language breakdown here. I meant two nights, not two weeks. Because I'm thinking I'm not sleeping on the floor for two weeks. And I could see look, he looked a bit flat with that. That's an understatement. He was pretty shattered. Anyway, the next day was the first day in the school teaching. And I just remember, I remember very clearly meeting this kid, right? Well, all of them, but there's one kid particularly called Stunson. I'm pretty sure this kid's 
the happiest person I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm looking out across the horizon going, I'm in the middle of the desert. There's nothing here. Where's this kid get off being so happy? What's the story? I don't. And then in the end, I just couldn't wait to get to school every day. I forgot I wanted to go home early. I was there two weeks, went like that. And I literally forgot I wanted to go home early. And I remember lying on the dirt floor on my last night trying to go to sleep, plane flying out the next morning. And I'm thinking about my sister and I'm going, what's going on here? My sister grew up in Melbourne in Australia, loving family, nice home, good schools, really struggled and still is struggling to be happy with this mental illness. This kid here in this school sleeps on a dirt floor in a village, no running water, and I've never met anyone happier. And I remember at that point thinking, no, I can't leave here. I need to stay here and I'm going to stay here as long as it takes me to work out. What does this kid do every single day that makes him so happy? And is there anything I can learn off him I could maybe talk to my little sister about? And so I ended up living there for three and a half months in this village. And I just, I was like watching what those people were doing. I was doing what those people were doing. And what I discovered was they had these three things that they stopped their day and practiced every single day. Like all the kids, all the adults, everyone just did it. So I joined in and Sammy, like it had a massive impact on me. Like I'm really lucky. I've always been a happy person, but I just felt like it was off the charts how happy I was feeling and how calm and relaxed and came back to Melbourne. I was like, I want to tell everyone this stuff, but I knew it worked, but I just kind of felt like I couldn't turn up to schools and just say, anyway, this kid in India did this stuff. You should do it. Then you'll feel happy. So I went back to uni, did my postgrad studies and I looked at the research that sat behind these three things. The three things are gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness, which I know you're all over. So you get this stuff, but yeah, gratitude, empathy, mindfulness. And I, I found out there's like 50 years of research screaming at us, like in countries like Australia and the US, if we want to feel happier, if we want to improve our mental health or we want to cope better during a challenging time in our life, we've got to start practicing these three things. And so I went back to teaching and I taught these three things in the school I was teaching at and I just had a massive impact on these kids. And I was like, no, nah, I think everyone needs to hear this, not just the 25 kids I have each year. I want everyone to know this stuff. And so I just thought I'm going to go to schools and tell kids this stuff. <laughs> and it took a while. Like I remember two years in going, what am I doing? This is not going to work. It's just like, no one wants to hear me speak. Like, I keep chatting to principals. They're like, sorry, mate, who are you? And they'd say, what other schools are you working at? And I'd go, uh, you'd be the first. <laughs> it took a while, but 10 years later, we're, you know, we're going okay now. So uh, yeah, that's a very long answer to your question, Sammy. That's how we started. <laughs> mate, you articulate this journey amazingly well. And I understand that you've done a very long story short. So I appreciate that. And it's amazing to see that you put yourself in the depths of it over there. You committed to doing longer to sort of find out more about this kid. Can you talk to us about what were some of the things that they were doing over there that kept them so happy and so grounded through those three pillars? Yeah, so I'll give you examples of the stuff they did. Back then when I was 28, if someone had said to me, are you a grateful person? I would have said, yeah, of course I'm grateful. But I hadn't, not until I saw it in the flesh, like these people, the way they live gratitude, I was like, oh, now I get it. So my first day in the school, I remember the kid said to me at lunchtime, I was walking over to the staff room to get a cup of tea. The kid said, sir, come see the playground. I'll grab a tea and I'll come over. I said, no, no, no. And they grabbed me by the hand. I said, come and see it. And they ran me over to this playground, right? There's a swing, a rusted old swing there that looks like it's about to collapse. One of the swings doesn't actually have the swing part. It's just two chains hanging down. The swing's gone. And the other swing, it's only attached to one chain. So it's just this long thing dangling down there. So there's essentially four chains hanging off. And they stood in front of it, these four kids, and they pointed over their shoulders. And they're going, have a look. And I didn't look at their faces. I just looked at the swings. So I thought those kids were going, look how bad this is. But then I looked at their faces and I realized those kids are actually going, hey, sir, check this out. How good's this? Look at this. We've got play equipment. And I was like, oh, my God, these kids are amazing. But I remember going, that's pretty cool. But then I realized this kid I spoke about five minutes ago, this kid called Stunzen, every single time, this is so cool, and you'll love this, but every single time he saw something he was grateful for, he would stop 
and he'd point to it and he'd try and say the word this, but he couldn't pronounce the TH because the English was his third language. It was just too hard. And I tried to help him, but it's, it's a really hard noise to make if you've ever done it before. So he'd go, if he saw something he was grateful for, he'd just go, sir, this, this. And I remember I'd go, sorry, mate, do you mean this? And he'd go, yes, this. And I'd go, no, no, this. And he'd go, yes, yes, this. And I'd go, that, that'll do. So for example, I'll give you three things he pointed out to me pretty regularly. So if I walk past him and he's tying up his shoelaces, hey, sir, yes, Dunson, he'd point to his shoes and go, this, 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 this. What he was saying was, how goes this? I got shoes on my feet. Some of the kids here don't have shoes. I do. Like he grew out of his shoes when he was in grade one, right? He can't afford new shoes. He cut the end of his shoes off with scissors. His toes are hanging this far to end of his shoes. Didn't bother him. Sir, this, I got shoes on my feet. Lunchtime, you know, he couldn't afford to be in lunch to school. So one of the teachers cooked rice for a handful of kids who couldn't afford, you know, to have lunch. And so he would walk past with this cup, right? He'd scoop up this cup of rice, just plain rice, nothing else. Sir, this, this. Like he's going, how lucky am I? I get fed here. If he realized he was having a really good time, like something was good in that moment, he would stop and he would just Bollywood dancing. He loved Bollywood dancing, right? So him and his mates would do these ridiculous Bollywood dances at lunchtime. If I walk past him in his mid-dance, hey, sir, this, this, what he was saying was, what's happening right now? This is really good. I'm so grateful for this moment right now. And I reckon a lot of us struggle with that in developed countries and, you know, Western countries. Because I reckon I'm in Melbourne. We have the harshest lockdown anywhere in the world for the longest time. And I hear people going, oh, I wish I'd go to the footy or I wish I could go to the cafe or go to the pub. Yeah. But the last time we were there, I'm, I'm the perfect example. Like I, um, I, I, we, uh, my office is in Collingwood, which is a 20-minute walk to the MCG, right? And my favourite thing to do on a Friday afternoon is to finish work and go to the footy and watch the footy. And I caught myself last Friday thinking, God, I'd give anything to be just going to the footy right now. But then I had this memory of the last time I did go to the footy, right? I got home, my wife goes, oh, how was the footy? I remember saying, oh, it was a waste of a night. Like I got there a bit late, so I didn't get a great seat. And then there's a massive queue for a beer at halftime, missed the first half of the third quarter. Hawthorne lost by a couple of points, took forever to get. I'll tell you right now, last Friday, I would have given anything to turn up late to go to the footy, sit in a shit seat, queue up for a beer at halftime and have my team lose by two points. I'd give anything for that. Like we were taking things for granted. And I think coronavirus has kind of shone a light on the fact that a lot of us were taking a lot of things for granted. Like we needed everything to be perfect. But because I follow you on social media, I think that's something you do really well, Sam, is like you seem to really appreciate good moments as they happen. And I think that's what gratitude really is. And that's what I saw these, to come back to your question, that's what these kids just did. Like something good was happening. They were there, you know, they were fully there for it. They didn't miss a beat. What is a really simple tool or a tactic that we could do on a daily basis to remind ourselves that we should be grateful for those things. And I know you're talking on external things and I feel like there's two types of gratitude. There's gratitude for things internally that you have within yourself. And then there's gratitude of things that you have externally and opportunities that happen in your life. How do you remind yourself to keep practicing gratitude? And is it something that you've got to practice regularly? Yeah, so, I mean, you know this, but like if you want to be good at something, you've got to practice it, right? And gratitude's no different. So the research base, the way the science says to practice gratitude is to write down at the end of the day, three things that went well for you during the day. And I think where a lot of people get bored with it is they try and do the question, what are you grateful for? Because that makes sense. You want to practice gratitude, what are you grateful for? But the problem with what are you grateful for is you might do it for a week and then you get a bit bored. And the reason you get bored is you kind of repeat yourself. Like you'll go family, friends, house, job, food, water, shelter. And then you go, oh, I'll say family again tonight, or I'll say my partner or whatever it is. And you kind of get bored because you're repeating yourself. But if you answer the question, what went well today, what happens is you actually start to notice little moments in the day, smaller things. Like I had a nice coffee this morning. I saw the sunrise. I got out for a run at lunchtime. Got my K per minutes under four minutes, which I noticed you did the other day. Very, very good. <laughs> so, whatever it is, like you're paying attention to little moments. 
that happen in your day, which you can write down. And that's actually quite enjoyable. Like it's a nice thing to do. You get in the habit of it. If you stick at it for more than two weeks, you actually notice when you go to bed at night, if you haven't done it, you go, oh, I haven't done that thing. And it's something you like doing, you look forward to doing. So what that does basically is it just rewires our brain to be better at paying attention to the good stuff because we're surrounded by good stuff every day. But unfortunately, our brains work off a thing called the negativity bias. We're actually seven times more likely to notice a negative. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even a positive. That's kind of the way we're hardwired. And a lot of people listening will know that feeling of like, everything's going well, you have one thing go wrong for the day, completely ruins your day. Whereas it doesn't work the other way. You don't have one good thing happen. You go, well, that's completely made my day. I'm happy for the rest of the day. You know? like, but when you practice gratitude, what happens is you rewire your brain to be better at paying attention to the good stuff. And there's a lot of science. There's a lot of research behind that. And you said earlier, you know, you've done a lot of research over the years and you've mixed that in with evidence-based research and your own lived experience, which I think is a beautiful way to deliver education because you're trying to come at it from all different angles and you're not speaking just from a textbook and you're certainly not just speaking from being out in India for three and a half months. You're speaking from a more of a holistic approach and I love that. Yeah, I mean, that's what you guys do so well. Like I was just saying before, I listened to Casey speak at the NRL rookie camp in Australia and Queensland. But I remember the day before that, I was at a conference and it was at a university and there was a professor talking about 
anxiety. And I honestly, like, I nearly fell asleep listening to him, right? And I was just like, oh, yeah, I get it, mate. But how much longer is this guy going on for? And then the next day I'm listening to Casey speak on behalf of Livin'. He's telling a story. Like, he's telling an incredible story, a really moving story. And I'm looking at the boys, all the rookie players who are now, this is five years ago. They're probably all like well-established players now. But back then they're the rookies and I'm watching their faces and they're like, they're in because you're telling a story. And that's what you need to do in this area. People don't forget stories. It's part of, we're taught storytelling from as young as we can probably remember getting told stories when we go to sleep at night you know but mate for someone that doesn't do this on a daily basis who isn't probably in this area of expertise like yourself and myself are you saying that just writing simple things daily could really really shift your mindset and really change and how do you stay accountable to that if it's not yourself i don't practice it every day i go through big stages where i don't and i notice a difference when i'm not doing it i don't know about you but i've felt a little bit of pressure throughout this pandemic to be okay i've felt like I go and talk about resilience. I have to be okay. We did this big program for Coles and it was like every day I'm chatting to a different group of Coles employees online. And first couple of months, I'm like trying to fake, yeah, I'm fine. Like I'm going really well because I practice all this stuff. But after I was like, this is so unrealistic. You're not always going to be happy. And that's a really unhealthy thing to pretend that I'm going okay. Like I said to you before, we're up to 106 days of the harshest lockdown anywhere in the world. And I was like, do you know what? Like when my grandkids asked me what coronavirus was like, and I say we couldn't go beyond five kilometers from our house, allowed to leave the house once a day for an hour. If they then said to me, gosh, how, how was that? If I said to them, yeah, I was totally fine. That'd be a weird response. And it made me realize that we're in the middle of something really difficult. It's okay to struggle right now. In fact, it's normal. Being not okay right now in Melbourne, that's a normal and sane response to a pretty stressful situation. So just to come back to your question, I think there'll be stages you don't do this stuff and just forgive yourself for it. Like we're imperfect. We stuff up all the time and we find it hard to commit to these kind of things because they don't have an instant response for us. You know, there's so much stuff around the world that you can just get instantly right now. You can order stuff online. When we're practicing mental health stuff, we want it to make us go, I've done my three things that have gone well for me. Yeah, I'm good now. My mental health is fixed. But um you just got to do your best to get into the habit of it. And if you miss a night, don't get down on yourself. Just go, that's right. I'm a human. <laughs> like I'm imperfect. I stuff up. I'll get into it tomorrow night. And you don't do it tomorrow. That's okay. I've stuffed up. Just can make some time tomorrow. And it's like anything, the more you put into it, the more you get out. I've gone through stages where I've done like five months in a row, didn't miss a day of what went well, doing a random act of kindness and then like doing a mindfulness practice throughout the day. I look back on those times and it's unbelievable. But it's similar to your physical health, which you know all about. But I look back on stages of my life where I was getting up and running every morning or going to the gym every morning. They're like the happiest memories because I just knew how good I felt afterwards it's the same thing with your mental health you put the work in you're gonna feel good and you'll look back on that as like a really happy time so i love that man it's so true and i love how you worded that and articulated it and it's true you know for anyone listening right now that feels like they're in a rut or maybe they were in a really good routine and doing a great bunch of healthy activities and habits in their life for the better and they feel themselves slacking off or falling down or losing touch of what's meaningful to them don't beat yourself up but do remind yourself that these healthy habits are what make you better and maybe sometimes you can't expect an overnight success you know it's not instant gratification it's like you said earlier man and we keep practicing things daily it does pay off and i've always wanted to ask you this where do you think as a society especially in the western world where do you think we're going wrong why do you think we're lacking resilience I think there's so many contributing factors. Gosh, I don't know where even to start with this. We could do a whole episode on this on this very question. But it's such a great question. It's such an important one. I'll give you a few that I think are causing us real issues. Deep down, so many of us don't feel like we're worthy of love and affection. We feel like we have to be smarter or be funnier or be better looking or be fitter or be more popular on social media. Or we feel like as we are right now at our core, we feel like we're just not enough or we're not worthy. 
of love and affection. So young girls might say something like, once I get 2,000 followers on Instagram, then I'll feel like I really am worthy. And then I get to 2,000 and go, oh, she's got 5,000. Once I get to 5,000, then I'll feel good. You get to 5,000. No, I need 7,000. Then I'll, And then we just keep replacing, you know, maybe it's someone saying, I need to be this weight. When I get to this weight, then I'll feel worthy of love and I'll feel worthy of affection. And then you get to that weight and you go, no, no, I think actually I'll get to that weight. Not so much on that topic, but I've felt a bit of that during this lockdown. Me and two of my mates from school have just said, let's make sure that when lockdown ends, we're the fittest we've ever been in our entire life. So we've been going berserk, like I've never run before. And we're doing times right that a year ago, I was just like, oh my God, that's amazing. But I've already noticed myself going, oh, now I need to get to that. I just want to get to that. And when I get to that, then I'm just going to feel so fit. And there's nothing wrong with challenging yourself with more goals. But we do it with so many areas of our life where we're like, I think the really important message here is to everyone is that you are worthy of love and affection as you are right now. You don't need to get certain marks at uni. You don't need to get a certain job. You don't need to get a certain salary to be loved and to be worthy of affection. You're worthy as you are right now. Just by being born, you're worthy of love and affection and belonging. The other thing I think that we're struggling with, and there's research out of Harvard, I think it was, that says the average person in the Western country will spend 49% of their day thinking about the future and 34% of their day thinking about the past. So that gives us 15% of our day where we're actually kind of thinking about what's happening as it's happening. I think that's why we're so anxious because we don't have any control over the past, yet we're spending a third of our day thinking about it. That's pretty anxiety-provoking, thinking about something you can't control. And we have very little control over the future, yet we're spending half our day thinking about it. The only thing we ever have control over in our lives is what is happening right now. And yet we're only really showing up for 15% of that time. So I think we need to get better at being wherever we are. I think social media is making that really hard and our devices are making that really hard because our devices rip us away from the present moment all the time. You know, I come back to this village in India where I just remember every afternoon you'd go back and have tea with a different family in their mud hut. Everyone sits in a circle and just talks. There's no checking the phones. There's no running off on iPads. They're just so there. Like, you know, when you change to people and you see that they're looking for someone better to chat to or they're distracted by something or not in this community. And I feel like that's one of the areas that they just do it so much better than us. So the other one, I think, and I, I should have said this first, because I think this is the biggest problem. So many of us live by a model of happiness called the if and then model of happiness. If I buy this car, then I feel happy. If I get this promotion, then I feel happy. If we buy this house and live in a suburb like this, then we'll feel happy. If I end up with this person, then I feel happy. There's nothing wrong with wanting those things. They're all really healthy things to aspire towards, right? But you just can't pin your happiness to it because what happens is you buy that nice car and then six months later, someone drives past in a nicer car and you go, oh, shit, actually, if I drive a car like that, then I'd feel happy. It could be something like um, I'll get that promotion. Then and then you get the promotion, you feel really good. And then a year later, you see a better job advertised. You go, oh, I need that. If I get that job, then I'll be happy. We just keep replacing stuff. Like you spoke about external and internal factors before. This is all about looking at the things that you don't have. And if I have it, then I'll feel happy. You get it. Then you find something else you need to be happy. And I think that's something that we really struggle with. I agree, man. I think the external validations that we try and seek from these things that we feel are going to bring us that fulfillment and happiness and purpose we're greatly disappointed when we finally get it and we never feel that way because we've worked our absolute asses off, you know, whether to become a professional football player, an actor, or buying our first house or a car, and you finally get your hands on it and experience it and drive it and then you realise that it hasn't fulfilled that gap that's inside of you. And what I've always preached within my life is try not to tie your identity up in things external to yourself. I like to try and tie my worth in the things that are inside of me. So the way I treat people, 
the way I treat myself, the way I stick to my word, all that stuff is what I value myself on. Yes, there are things in my life that I want to be and I want to work towards and I want to attain and I want to succeed at and be amazing at it. But if I don't get to that place, I'm not going to give up and finish forever and tell myself I'm the worst person ever and my self-esteem's now at a zero and all that stuff. Does that make sense? Totally. It's like when you take your attitude to life from me to we, life becomes beautiful and that's kind of what you do. Like your life is about helping other people. And I think that's really where joy and happiness comes from when you're doing things for other people, really. For me, it took the tragedy of my sister's mental illness to get me to that point. It sounds like for you and your mates, for you and Case, like the trauma that you guys went through has taken you to this place where you've gone, well, something awful's happened and I'm going to do something really good with that. It's a great lesson for so many people. Yeah, it really is. And I think there's so much to be learned and we're always students of life. That's my mantra. And I'm a student of life and forever learning and listening and, and hearing what other people are doing. And I'm always open-minded to hearing what doesn't work and what works and what works for you, Hugh, might not work for me or to some of the people within living and that's cool too. But I do want to ask, what do you feel young people can do these days? I know when we talk about resilience, oftentimes we try and connect that with the feeling of disappointment and not dealing well with failure. What could parents do from a very young age for their son or daughter to instill resilience and teach them to be stronger as they grow up so that they can deal with disappointment and failure and loss and stuff a little bit better? Such a good question. I mean, there's so much they can do. I think the main thing, and I'm feeling this right now deeply because my three and a half year old's struggling a bit at the moment with a few things, I think all because of lockdown, but this generation of parents of which I'm one, we are way too keen to fight our kids' battles for them. We've got to let them fight their own battles. We've got to let them stuff up. We've got to let them make mistakes. We're all over them and we're not letting them stuff up. Like when I was at school, if I got in trouble, I'd always go, oh shit, now I'm going to go home and deal with mum and dad. And I'd get home and mum and dad would back up the teacher 100% of the time. But these days, something's changed where it's like the kids will get in trouble, they'll go home and tell their parents and their parents will then send an email to the school saying, what was said to my child? I don't agree with that. This needs to be, that's not acceptable, blah, blah, blah. No, nah, sorry, it doesn't work like that. Parents, just back off and let your kids fight their own battles. You know, kids need to fail. They need to stuff up and then go, oh, okay, it's okay to fail because I can learn from this. So like you said before, like, you know, always learning from your, all the learnings you take. But I feel like I'm worried kids are not getting that message anymore because the average family in Australia 40 years ago had 3.7 kids. And the theory is there, you got four kids. You're just like, off you go, go to school. You'll probably all make it back. I don't know. Now the average family has 1.9 kids. We hear something's gone wrong in the school ground. We'll sort it out. And it comes from a really loving place. Parents are like, I just want you to be okay. But you do not become resilient without experiencing adversity. It's as simple as that. So accept that things are going to go wrong for your kids. Accept that they're going to have adversity and have faith that they will sort it out. I mean, I'm not saying never, ever intervene. I mean, there'll be points where your kids, they're way out of their depth and you might need to help them out. But don't stop them failing. Like, let them fail. And when they fail, you say to them, I'm so proud of you for having a go there. Like, well done. How can we do it differently next time to maybe avoid that failure or whatever? And that's great parenting, I reckon. I think it's really good advice. And I heard a podcast not long ago, Kobe Bryant with Jay Shetty, and he mentioned something very similar. You can't do too much controlling. You sort of just got to let them go within a safe environment and let them make mistakes because aren't human beings naturally born pretty resilient we're a very resilient species i thought and the fact that we're still here is probably testament to that yeah absolutely yeah exactly exactly and as far as your teachings go mate like how can people get involved in the resilience project and what's the best way to support what you're doing and spread that message 
Depends what people want. If they just want to listen to more of these kind of stories, I guess our podcast, The Imperfects, might be a nice place to start a good free resource. There's the book as well. If, if you want to hear more of these stories, I wrote a book last year, which turned out to accidentally be a good time to write a book about how you cope with challenging times. <laughs> yeah, but if you want to hear a speaker, yeah, just go to the website. There's the school program, sporting program and corporate program. So there's a few of us who present a bit like you guys, I suppose. I love your hybrid model, mate. I love how you've got the wellness series. I think it is on there that you have the 10 part series. And I love how you've got all these different things for schools, teachers, community, sports clubs, workplaces, school students, well done on all the amazing work that you've been doing. I love how, you know, your work is mixed in with science, with research. You guys have had your programs evaluated. You continually get them evaluated so that they are cutting edge and you know they are effective because I think that's the most important part of this, delivering effective material to help people learn. I take my hat off to everything that you've done since that part in your life. And I probably the most important question I have for you throughout this whole piece is, how's your sister going and how did she go after all of that? Yeah, I mean, my sister's good now. She lives in LA. She's been there for a long time now, loves LA. She practices this stuff every single day, right? Like she's a great ambassador for gratitude, empathy, mindfulness. She, she does it all the time, does her three things every day. She does meditation every day and her life is about my gosh, the amount of charities that she started and non-for-profits that she's running around the world to help other people. She lives and breathes this stuff every day and she's good. Her eating disorder is better. She doesn't have the eating disorder anymore. Anorexia is gone. And a big part of that is because of these three things that she practices you know, every single day. I love that, man. I love that. What an amazing journey that you've been on, that she's been on, that your family's been on and this wonderful community that you've created inside what was supposed to be a two-week stay in India, man. What about that game changer in life? And I love that. I love where your journey's taken you, and it really is only just beginning, mate. Let's be honest. Things like this are probably more important now than ever. Mate, I wish yourself and the entire team and everyone else that's involved in the Resilience Project all the very best, and I'd love to help support any other way we can with living into the future. I really appreciate those kinds of words. I mean, what you guys have done, it's so inspirational to us. So we feel the same about you guys, incredible work you're doing. And I see all the school talks you're doing and all the corporate stuff and everything. It's just, it's amazing. So thank you so much for having me today and good luck with everything. Thank you very much for the kind words. And where can people find you, Hugh, if they want to track you down right now and support you personally or reach out to you? If you just Google the Resilience Project, you'll find everything you need there. And- Sweet, mate. And we'll catch up sometime in the future. And I'm sure, mate, we've literally scraped the iceberg here today we could talk about a hell of a lot more but thanks so much for your time again mate look after yourself in these last few days in lockdown and we'll speak real soon right thanks mate thank you again for listening in to another episode of it ain't week to speak please like share and spread the love to as many people as you can let people know that you subscribe to the show don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you, but in the meantime, stay well, keep living, and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you and have a top day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.